All right, so last week we were talking about that seventh day. Last day we're going to talk about in, uh, in Genesis chapter 1. We were talking about God, rest, on that word rest is, there's two words for rest in the Hebrew. One was the word used here, which means to cease, to stop. And then another type of rest was the Noahic rest, which is the, uh, like the rest with like a home and like you're, you're, you're full, you're, it's complete. It's, uh, it's um, you know, there's rest, but you're still doing stuff. Um, that kind of rest, like, a, uh, like we're looking forward to in that time when we go, when there's a new heaven and a new earth. Things won't just stop, but there'll be a new life. And, uh, and so we're not just stopping, we're continuing in this rest. So we're doing that. And so, uh, so, but God on the seventh day, he says he rested on the seventh day. He ceased in the seventh day. And part of what we were talking about, and I know we're continuing an idea from last week, so I'm going to have to back up just a tad, but if you're confused, please ask the question because I'm probably not going to repeat everything I said last week. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to go on. Um, but we were talking about how on the seven, uh, the time aspects of the seven is so influential for the rest of the Hebrew Bible and for the Israelites. Even their whole calendar is built around this idea of seven. The, the idea, um, the Shabbat is the uh, seventh day. It's a one day event. It happens every Friday night to Saturday night. Um, that's when the Sabbath is. And then, but we also have things like the Passover um, and Festival of Fruits and, and Weeks and uh, Trumpets and, and David Thomas and the Tabernacles. And they're all based around the seven, this pattern of seven uh, that we did talk about last week. Um, but then there's this other idea. You can read about the festivals in Leviticus chapter 23. But then there's this other holiday that is found in, um, that, that continues in uh, the seventh day portrait of God's work um, as he brings out, he, he rests on the seventh day. But did you realize this? As we look at the Sabbath day, it's the only day that doesn't end. Go look at it. If you read Genesis chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, because when I say Genesis chapter 1, we mean that first unit, um, which is the seven day of creations. It's the, it's the only one that doesn't say there was evening and there was morning, day 7. It doesn't end. And there's something to that. It's a day, the idea is in the beginning... Before we done done screwed up, there was a rest without end. And that means the entire rest that when we talk about the renewal in Genesis, in, in Revelation, we're talking about 21, 20 and 21, the, you know, 22, the, the, the passages, um, 
in the new heaven, new earth. It's a renewal of the rest with no end. Um, you know, I, I like quoting all those, uh, you know, scholarly people that I get to read all the time. Um, so you guys don't have to read them. Um, <laughs> unless you just choose to. Um, Unlike the previous days, the seventh day is simply announced. There is no mention of the evening or morning, no mention of beginning or ending. The suggestion is that the primordial seventh day existed in perpetuity, uh, uh, a sacred day that cannot be arbor. Uh, ar- whoa, okay. I can talk and read. I know I can. <laughs> abrogated by the limitations common to the rest of the created order. Um, One more. I've got actually four on the app if you want to read the rest of them, but I'll just read one more of them. Um, The Sabbath is the point in time where God and man meet. And on the seventh day of creation, God joined himself and eternal presence to his temporal creation, to the world of man. On the seventh, Sabbath day, God, man not only recalls, but participates in the act of cosmic creation. He experiences the original structure of time with the microcosm of his own life. The observance of the Sabbath link, links humanity to a divine ordained future as well as a divinely created past. Sabbath observant has a cosmic implications, a foretaste of an eschatological future, and a prefiguration of the final phase of a, the divine human reconciliation. In the point, pointing back to the beginning, the Sabbath also points to what is yet to be final destiny, destiny to which all creation is moving. Um, yeah. But the idea that all of it is just in one day if they, if, 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 you know, we talked about the sun and the moon and the, and, and the stars and they mark monthly calendars and the single calendar, but, but also a year, annual calendar and more than one calendar. And, uh, and so we get in the, well, by the time we get to Leviticus 25, we have drawing out of the seventh, we have this idea of a year of Jubilee. And you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 25. Um. Yeah, the Yahweh speaks to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you come into this land, you will give this land, uh, I will give you, the land gets its own Sabbath. That's, that's, the, the gist, that's what it says. The land gets its own Sabbath. Um, so you're going to be farming, you're going to be working in the land, but you know what? That land does not belong to you. It's not your land. Uh, That's something very difficult in our modern 
I mean, we know the government actually owns all the land, but, uh, and we know that because if you don't pay your property taxes, they can take it. Um, but, uh, but, but, but that's as close as we get, and that's not really the same thing, is it? That's, that's someone else has claimed your land, and you just get to lease it because you're part of the citizenship of that nation. Um, so that's different. This is the land itself was given to you, and now you get to give it a rest too. And uh, it's very difficult for us. The land doesn't actually belong to you. You're going to work it uh, year after year, but every seventh year, you're going to leave the land alone. It's going to be called the Sabbath year. Uh, the land's going to have a Sabbath year. And so the idea is, so it says six years, sow your field, six years, prune your vineyard, gather crops, but on the seventh year, the land gets a Sabbath. And so as it Sabbaths, whatever it naturally produces, that's what you're going to live off of. Whatever it just naturally produces. Um, this is before we've over-industrialized the land and we, you know, this part is only, for, you know, this is, um, it's going to produce crops anyways. They don't, um, and so they're going to, whatever is natural off the human labor, you're going to be able to live off of that. And that's a, a, a call. Imagine us trying to say, hey, we're going to do that as a nation. In seven years, we're not going to do any farming. We're not going to produce any chemically grown plant, meat, uh, plant meats. Uh. Well, the idea of work, it depends on how you define work. If you are a farmer... Then what I was trying to get to is that you said can you imagine us today as a nation not doing any farming? Well it would be more than that. It would. In our nation today because after the industrial revolution and the digital revolution, which we can argue about that one later, um, the idea would be if we were to continue this, it would be, yeah. Um, all the businesses are gonna be shut down for you're not going to be able to, I mean, Chick yeah, no Chick-fil-A. Uh, whatever the land naturally produces, that's what you're going to live off of. And it was a call to trust God. Now, it would be very different for us because we're not an agricultural society. Um, we, the, the, I, 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 I don't foresee us being able to even do this because we're not an ag we're actually a debt society. Um, and uh, we can argue economics another day, but, uh, um, but uh, our society isn't based on agriculture like theirs was. Um, and so when he says, but he says the land, um, and I think there's things we can learn from this, but I don't think we could mimic this in our society. Um, yeah, so every seven years, it's going to, and you're going to... Um, And then there's, so you're going to have seven years, and then you're going to have seven, seven years. So you get 49 years. And then the ram's horn is going to be blown on the 10th day of the seventh month, in the festival of trumpets. 
and you're going to have um, the and you're going to have the Day of Atonement, which the land and the holy place is purified from all evil and sin. And so every seven times seven, um, you're going to have a double ultimate seven Sabbath year. So you're going to have two years of Sabbath. Um, so it's going to look something like this. Um, I took this from the Bible Project, and he got this from, uh, I wrote it down, um, a book that I put on my wish list because I haven't read this one yet. Um, John Bergsma, The Jubilee from Leviticus to Qumran. So I haven't read that one yet, so looking forward to it. Um, And so it's going to look something like this. You're going to have a uh, counting... um, where you have a jubilee the first year, and then you're going to have seven years, and you're going to have so you're going to have this counting uh, of uh, a, a double jubilee um, schema that's going to that's going to be there, um, and um, yeah, so you're going to live off of that. So every 50 years, you're going to have two years of not farming the land. And, 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 and not just not farming the land. There's going to be a, the, any land that was sold off, it's going to be returned to the original tribe that it was uh, given to in the first place. Because remember in, 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 in Numbers, they like assign, like this piece, of, this piece of property goes to the tribe of Manasseh. This piece of tribe goes to... Um, tribe of Judah. This three guy go to, to Benjamin. And so every year of Jubilee, you're supposed to return that property to their, uh, to that tribe um, because God gave that tribe that piece of property, not and so they may have sold it, but you still have to give it back. Uh, but it's also a, uh, all slaves. Yes, they did have slavery back then. Um, Uh, the idea that slavery, you know, we look often backwards on history and we think how morally repugnant they are um, because of, of slavery. And we disagree with it. I think we're rightfully so. I think the Bible would argue that slavery has to go. But it's been part of history for so long. Not just, you know, not just white Americans. It's been part of all, all cultures have had uh, slavery in part of their cultures at some point in the history because we dominate each other. That's part of our sinful nature. Um, actually, the first mention of slavery in the Bible is as a result of sin. Um, and so it spurns from a sin. Um, but uh, but it is, I think as you read like Paul, he talks about slavery, but I think he would be against it, but I don't think he can visualize a world where slavery doesn't exist. I mean, it's so part of their culture. I mean, think about some things in our culture today that we're like, I don't know if I could picture a world where it was different. Um, I mean, TV, you know, microphones, cell phones. Um, You know, there are some things that are so ingrained, going to church, you know, Instead of being the church, we get to go to church. Uh, <laughs> um, I preached about that last week, didn't I? Um, some things are so ingrained in our culture that we can't imagine them being different. Um, you know, for most Americans, the idea of anything other than capitalism. Uh, 
is, even though, or, or democracy is so ingrained, we don't know how, we, we, we would have to do a complete mental mind flip to change it. Um, even though we talk about changing things, this and that, we're not really giving up those principles. Um, I mean, some people I'm sure do, but, you know, but a lot of that is coming from people that live in other nations that are bringing it in, not... Uh, because we have things that are so foreign to us, like, how could we change that? Um, and so slavery is one of those things. And so they, but at, they, they, to remember that they were slaves once, they're God's image, so they have to free the slaves too. And it puts a limit on slavery, which actually was something that had been very unique to their culture, is that there's a limit to slavery. Um, we, we don't want to, we often take, we want to put the Bible in our context and say, well, it talks about slavery. Yes, it does. But in that society, it actually putting a limit on it would have been something huge. I mean, remember Pharaoh, he just tossed, he just said, well, let's kill all the male ones because they're getting too uppity. And that was perfectly okay. That was not seen as a wrong on, uh, in the eyes of the Egyptian uh, uh, society. They were slaves after all. Um, the Roman society, which um, when Paul was writing, it was perfectly okay to have uh, multiple slaves. Slaves had slaves, and you could treat them however you wanted to. Um, so we, we, we neglect that. Um, but yeah, so you'd ha- you could, but you could free. You had to, um, so... You had this time, and the idea is you go back to this idea of um, this Eden setup, where, um, and it's called the year of release. Jubilee, actually, the word jubilee, it comes from the Hebrew word ram's horn. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, jubilee, but uh, yeah, the word, it comes from the word ram's horn, which is why it's called, it, it comes out on the... This is your new word, uh, Rudy the Ram, right there, Jubilee. Um, this is why, uh, you know, so they, they have sirens go off at the Day of Atonement today, but it was the, the announcement of this was through the ram's horn. And so it was the year of the ram's horn. Um, but yeah, so they, but this, and, and this would have been, according to everyone around them, this would have been seen as an economic Suicide. Um, and we have very little Im- evidence that, the, that they actually stuck to this pattern like they were supposed to. Um, there is some evidence that they did sometimes, but there's very little evidence that they stuck to it long term, um, which explain, might explain some other issues that you have, like in the prophets and the reclaiming of the 700 years and uh, 40 years and stuff like that. But we can get into the prophecy another day. I'll go ask David about it. He's, he's, he's ready to talk about it anytime you want. Um, but it's not what we're talking about right now. <laughs> um, I'm trying to keep this on track because I, I want to get through Genesis chapter 1. Um, yeah, so, it, but, it, um, but yeah, so it's... Um, um, but yeah, so the, but the calendar uh, of the seventh represents, and I think what it is, is it's a preview of where the story is going all the time. The ultimate goal is to be the year of Jubilee. 
ultimate goal is to be that Sabbath without end. Uh, Aiden, are you back there? Okay, I just couldn't see you. Got to watch my son. He's my sound man. Uh, so, so um, yeah. So God recreating Eden conditions for the year of Jubilee. And I think that's one of the things Luke is getting to in, starting in Luke chapter 4. Let's jump to the New Testament. Let's talk about Jesus in the year of Jubilee, right? Um, in the, Luke chapter 4, Jesus has just been baptized. The Spirit comes out of the water. You are my son whom I love. And he goes in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And then right after that, fresh out of the wilderness, Luke tells a story. Um, Jesus returns to Galilee uh, in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spreads throughout the surrounding district. And he begins teaching in the synagogues. Um, so he, he, and he comes to Nazareth, which is like his hometown. Um, so he's, uh, he's, uh, he says, you know, this is uh, his hometown. It's, you know, so he's like having a family moment. And, um, you know, and 500 people uh, are in Nazareth about the time. That's about, you know, all that Nazareth is. Um, so, like, everybody knows him. Um, and he's custom that he goes to the Sabbath, the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he, he reads from the scriptures and he preaches. So he stands up, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is there. And he reads from the scroll, and he finds the place where it's written. Um, if you never had a chance to read from a scroll, they're really kind of cool. They're not, not like opening the Bible, you flip to Isaiah, you bring it up, and, and that's why the, the, the scrolls are, are labeled by what the first word is, because that's, you unroll the scroll, and you say, well, that's, you know, this is better sheet, because that's the book of Genesis, and so Isaiah, and so you unroll it, and he, says, he finds the place um, that he's reading from, and so he reads from the book of Isaiah, um, Yeah, and he, well, yeah. So, so he comes to a place where he's written, and he finds the prayer and give it to him. I'm going to read this. Unrolls the scroll and he finds the place where it is written. There it is. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Uh, poor in this uh, in this society is not just economic status. We we in our society, poor just means economic, right? Which you know, um, and poor in this society would be a much wider term, uh, in, including family heritage, land ownership, vocation, gender, ethnicity, education, religious purity, um, anyone of a low status in the social order of the Jewish world is considered poor. So there's lots of things that can make a person poor, or lots of things that can be, so you may be economically poor, but statusly rich. Um, so, but he's talking about, so there's lots of things that can make a person poor in this society. And so anyone who's poor is the, uh, so, he said, so he said poor, so it's, it's different than what we just think of. It says, he has sent me to proclaim the release of the captain, uh, captives, um, the recovery of the sight to the blind, the free, the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, that in the year of the Lord's favor. That's 
That's another phrase for the year of Jubilee. That's another way they word the year of Jubilee. So he says the year of the Lord's favor. So every time you hear that in the scripture, the year of the Lord's favor, put the word Jubilee in there. That's what he's referring to. So he says the year of the Lord's favor is the year of the Jubilees. And so he says, um, so I've come to free the oppressed. Now, freeing the oppressed refers to that jubilation liberation, that freeing from oppression. And the, um, it's, it's actually, in the Greek, it's actually the common word used for forgiveness. Um, but, it's more, but we don't translate it forgiveness because it's kind of got a more broader uh, it's the release from burden and bondage and, um, um, and, and all that collective sin that the society has built up. And it's a freedom from debt, the freedom from slavery, the freedom from poverty, the freedom from oppression. All of that happens at the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. And so he's come to, and so Jesus in Luke chapter 4 is announcing, hey, I've come to preach that as a standard for every year to be a freedom from the oppression, the freedom from the, the ultimate goal is to get back to that year of Jubilee. That Sabbath with no end found in Genesis chapter 1. Interesting enough, as you go through Luke, and we're not going to do it right now. <coughs> we don't have time for that. If you go through Luke chapters 5 through 13 and watch every person that Jesus heals or ministers to, it will either be on a Sabbath, which is the seventh day, or it will be someone who he's offering forgiveness or release to. Um, and I listed those, I think in the app, I listed them in the notes section. I, I listed those for you. Um, so, um, yeah, so, I mean, he's, he... Um, he, he gives access to, to the temple uh, for people that never had access to the temple, like the Gentiles or the people with skin disease or ritual impurities. Um, he sees himself as bringing the ultimate seventh day, and he calls this the kingdom of God. And he calls this, this is the kingdom of God. The ultimate seventh day is the kingdom of God. Um. And so that's really his, his announcement, this, this healing, this freeing, um, this, this true human, so uh, creation, the true humans are supposed to rule over and set free from the bondage of decay, and Paul will talk about this in Romans chapter 8. Um, and so, you know, Jesus, when he's saying these kind of things, I really think he's, he's meditating on on, on, on this, these ideas, the Sabbaths that are in, um, in these. And, uh, and so when he comes to um, inaug inaugurate that seventh day that doesn't end, and so he's like, uh, hey, the seventh day has arrived. It's going to be completed, and we don't want to miss up on it. So, we, so let's participate in the Sabbath day and, and bring this out. Um, I'm actually... Yeah, uh, the, we'll finish up that Luke chapter 4. I'll go ahead and finish that one up just because we were reading it. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, sat down, and every, eyes were on, in the synagogue were fixed upon him, and he began saying to them, 
Today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. That seventh day has arrived. Um, we're going to skip that next part. I was going to talk about that, but we're going to skip that because we're running out of time. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll just summarize it right quick. Go back and you guys can read Psalm 82. You can see how things happening on both planes are at the same time, physical and, and spiritual. And Jesus is like saying he's, he's, there's an aspect of Jesus where he's taking care of a physical problem, you know, the new Adam, but he's also taking care of a spiritual element, um, fixing some of the, the, the problems that were in the spiritual realm as well. Um, and you can read some of, some of the kind of those ideas. Um, yeah. But, uh, so let's, so um, on the seventh day, uh, let's come back to this, I, this observation. Um, on the sev- uh, seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he ceased, rested on the seventh day, on the seventh day from all work he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on, the, for on it he rested from all the work of creation. Um, so I think what we're, we're seeing here is Jesus is saying, look, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. You guys go all the way back. And they're, you know, they're used to meditating on this a lot more than we are, right? As we got TV. Uh, and felt cell phones. I mean, I mean, when's the last time you were without your cell phone? I went outside without my cell phone, left the house without my cell phone. I felt so weird. Um, and I was like, this should not be the way it is. But I felt like, what if my kids need me? Uh, you know, you know. <laughs> Uh, good for you, Mike. <laughs> um, actually, I told myself one of these days after I get, I, I need to get someone trained in how to do the, uh, the the social media stuff I do, like cutting down the videos and stuff like that. I'm going to take a, a break from uh, the computers, and uh, um, that'll be a fast, yeah. But I got to get someone trained up first before I can do that. Um, and I won't tell you when that's going to happen because it'll be a silent fast and you'll just see me preaching with an actual Bible. And uh, <laughs> uh, I won't be doing my tablet thing but because uh, uh, I won't take a break from the cell phones and the, the computers and the tablets. And the, uh, but I gotta, like I said, I got to get someone trained up before I can do that because uh, life doesn't stop just because I'm fasting. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've left it. Yeah. Yeah, you probably called me on when, right when, as soon as I left it, too. <laughs> uh-huh. I know you have a cell phone too now. Um he's got me covered. Um No, he does not have uh, he only has one that connects to the internet, not not, not a cell phone plan. Uh he's not ready for that. But uh, <laughs> uh, he mostly watches YouTube and plays video games. <laughs> um, but uh, but he can text me and a couple other of his cousins. That's, we limit who, how he can text. We put restrictions on it, so he can't text everyone. And um, yeah, got to be careful with those things. But. Um, 
with yeah the contraption control to learn slowly open it up so he can learn how to how to use it properly. Um, well, we're trying. We'll probably mess up at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, yeah, so um, yeah, so, so but I, I think that that Jesus is saying, hey, we're we're going back to that idea. Um, yeah, perfect timing. We got one last thing to do, and that's a video that summarizes everything we've been talking about for the last twenty-one weeks. It's the from the Bible Project. You guys know I love the artwork in those videos. It's the the they do a visual commentary on Genesis chapter one, and and um, a lot of the same ideas are in there. Um, obviously, not as in detail. It's a seven-minute, eight-minute video um, that uh, that kind of summarizes. Let's bring it all together before we move on to Genesis chapter uh, the second unit, Genesis chapter two. It did, yeah. Yeah. But just think how much you've learned in that process of me taking it through 21 weeks instead of eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, I love the Bible Project's uh, artwork and the way they summarize it all up. And that's why we're showing it now at the very end, to just kind of summarize it all up, remind us of some of the things that we went quite in depth in. Um, they're, they're, you know, obviously it's seven minutes, so they're only going to be able to grab a minute of it. But, you know, um, so, so we've done a lot of work. All right, so any questions about that? All right, let's let this video play. Oh, you know what, I bet... I gotta go back there and turn the sound on. Aiden, can you turn the computer sounds on? They're on the soundboard. These two right there. Yep. And ordering the whole cosmos. Okay, let's check it out. Now the opening line of the whole Bible is, in the beginning, God created the skies and the land. Now your Bible translation might say the heavens and the earth. In Biblical Hebrew, the word for heaven refers simply to the sky above, and the word for earth does not mean globe, but rather the land. The ground below us. Right. This line is summarizing what's going to happen in the following narrative, which starts in the next line. And it reads, Now the land was wild and waste. This phrase rhymes in Hebrew. The land was tohu vavohu, which means unordered and uninhabited. This is the ancient way of talking about the pre-creation state, what we might call nothingness. For the biblical authors, non-existence means having no purpose and no order. And the next line uses another image to say the same thing. And darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. What's the deep abyss? Yeah, it's a dark, chaotic ocean. It's another common way the ancients described the non-reality that preceded creation. Now, here's where things start to get interesting, because in the midst of those dark waters, God is present. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for God's Spirit is ruach, which can refer to wind or breath or God's invisible presence. So you can't see it, but God is present in the darkness, ready to bring order so that life can flourish. Yes, and this ordering happens in a series of six days. 
Each day begins with the phrase, and God said, and then ends with the phrase, and there was evening and morning. Yeah, every day addresses those problems introduced in verse 2, that there's no order and no inhabitants. So on days 1 through 3, God splits apart that unordered darkness into three ordered realms. Then on days 4 through 6, God fills the uninhabited wasteland with creatures. Interesting. Let's see how that works. Okay. So the first realm of order begins with light on day one. Ah, yes. Let there be light. This is God's own glorious light that fills and contains the darkness as he separates day from night. God's establishing the order of time. Okay. And then on day two, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What's the vault? In the ancient culture of the biblical authors, the sky was perceived as a solid dome that holds back waters. God's depicted here as splitting the chaos waters in half, above and below, which creates the realms of the sky and the seas. And then on day three, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. God is establishing the realm of the land and it emerges out of the chaotic waters. And then there's a bonus creative act on day three. God invites plants and fruit trees with seed to emerge out of the land. Okay, so we've got the realms of time, the realm of the sky and the seas, and the land. And they all have order. Right. Now, it's time to go back and fill these realms of days one through three with inhabitants. This is what happens on days four through six. So in day four, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky. God installs these lights, the sun, moon, and stars, as signs and symbols that reflect God's own light. He gives them his own royal power to separate day and night. Then on day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the land. Yeah, these are the creatures that live in the waters below and those that fly near the waters above. Then finally on day six, let the land produce living creatures. They emerge up out of the ground to live on the land. And then matching that bonus act of creation on day three, God makes a special land creature, human, or in Hebrew, Adam. Then God provides all of those plants from day three as abundant food. Now, over and over, God says what he created was good. But then after making humans, God says that it is very good. Yes, humanity is the climax of days one through six, and their importance is explained in the first poem in the Bible. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans come up from the ground like the other land creatures, but they're also more. They're God's image, which means that together, men and women embody and represent the creator within his creation. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, ruling over the creatures. This is the purpose of being God's image, to oversee creation as God's partners and representatives in the world. Very cool. Now, after the six days, we get a concluding line that links back to the key words of the opening line. And so were completed the skies and the land and all their inhabitants. Except there's one more day. It stands outside the pattern of days one through six. It's the big climax. And God completed on the seventh day the work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy. So God rests on the seventh day. 
This is a standard biblical image where God, after ordering the cosmos, comes to rest and dwell in his sacred space. It's like the whole world is a holy temple where God lives with his people. Now that phrase, there was evening and morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. That's right. The seventh day has no end. That's because Genesis 1 is describing God's ideal vision for the whole cosmos. A place where God lives with his partners to rule the world in harmony forever. Yes, the seventh day is the goal of creation. It's actually so important that the author of Genesis 1 has woven the number seven into every part of the story. There are seven days of creation, seven announcements that creation is good. There are seven Hebrew words in the opening verse, and then two times seven Hebrew words in verse two. And then the statement about the seventh day has three lines of seven words. Wow. So the first page in the Bible is doing way more than just telling us how the world was made. Right. Genesis 1 has been designed to show us that God's purpose is to share creation with his images so they can rest and rule it with him forever. And that purpose is what the rest of the biblical drama is all about. Seven's our lucky number, that's right. All right. Um, all right, well, that concludes my discussion. Thank you guys for sticking with me on Genesis chapter one. Uh, you guys uh, had to uh, you know, put up with all my antics on all these 21 weeks. I salute you for being so, uh, so amazing and staying with that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we will pick up the pace as we go through the rest of it. We've set such a strong foundation in Genesis chapter 1. We won't have to stay. We'll be able to pick up some speed because we've had this long foundation that I'll go back to as we, as we continue in Genesis chapter 2, 3. So if we'll go back to this. You'll, 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 you'll hear me reference Genesis chapter 1 a lot. But you have that foundation already. So, um, All right, so any questions before we pray and dismiss? No? All right. If you think of anything, go ahead and email me, and I'll do my best to answer. Father God, Lord, we praise you today. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful blessing. We pray that you just um, continue to bless us as we, we study your word. Lord, we want to be a blessing to you. and that's, we, wanna, we want our, our voices to be joyful to your ears. We want uh, our, our, our prayers to be uh, 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 a light uh, on your, your, your ears. Um, we just we want to be a blessing to you. So, Lord, Lord I know you're going to continue to bless us as we, f we focus in on you and we seek your face as we continue to study, as we continue to worship, as we continue to fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.